Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm sure you can put on a smile. Let the devil get angry. Uh, <laughs> hallelujah. The Bible says we are to come into his presence with thanksgiving, enter his cause with praise, and we should be joyful in the presence of the Lord our God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I want us to turn our Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 22. We are going to read. Um, you read on your own, open your Bible. I expect everybody to be carrying their Bible with them. So don't just come to the church and sit down like that. Open your Bible to 1 Kings, chapter 22. Later on, I'll put out some of the, the verses on the screen, but before then, we are all going to read from the Bible, and I want us to be open to what the Lord is going to be saying to us at this time. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time as we look into your word. Lord, open our eyes of understanding. Help us to hear and receive what the Spirit of God is saying. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, the title of this message, uh, I do not intend for it to be a series. It's called, the, um, I, I title it, uh, Be Careful What You Hear. Be careful what you hear. It's important because what you hear very much uh, determines what you end up carrying out in terms of your actions, your and decisions. So you need to be careful about what you hear. Anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so uh, we're going to read quite some few verses, but we will not read the whole chapter. First Kings chapter 22. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are. My people are as yours, or as your people, my horses as your horses. Also, Jehoshaphat said to uh, the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. I wanted to take note of that. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. You know, uh, you wonder why 400 prophets needed to uh, say something before, you know, one prophet, true prophet is enough to say the word. And <laughs> but 400 prophets. Anyway, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Verse 7, and Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? I love this. Is there not still a prophet of the Lord? Not even prophets. Just one is enough. When it comes to a true prophet, one is just enough. 
you know, one is just enough to get the job done at any particular time. You know, verse 8, so the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man, Micaiah the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I heard him. You know, sometimes we hate the people that uh, will bring us the true word from God. We love the people that tell us lies. But those who, you know, who tell us the truth, we tend to hate them. He says, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Well, why should he prophesy good when you are an evil man? You know? But that's happening even today. People are, you know, receiving prophecies when they are not living right, and yet they are receiving good prophecies. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Verse 9. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, bring Micaiah the son of Imla quickly, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah the son of Chenana had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, thus says the Lord, with this you shall go the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. This sounds very good. Even you know, when you want to do something and then somebody tells you that, yes, God says that, go ahead and do it. But the problem is that it's God really speaking. Verse 13. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah uh, spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. I want you to take note of that. You know, um, so the words they encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. All right, to an evil man, right? Okay, verse 14. And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that will I speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. But you know, this is a sarcastic assessment. He didn't mean it. He just said it, you know. But the, the king knew that, look, this man is <laughs> he's just saying it, you know. But of course, Micaiah knew what he was saying. He knew what he was doing. So the king said to him, verse 16, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Okay, you want to hear the truth. Here we go. Verse 17, then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Verse 19, Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Now, uh, let, if I take a little pause here, this is one of those uh, very interesting uh, scriptures where it would look like, uh, you know, 
God is employing, as it were, the services of uh, a demon. But God is God, and God is sovereign, you know, and he's a holy God. So if you want something carried out that, you, you know, he can, a demon, a demon, <laughs> a demon can carry out, you know, even in the Old Testament, there are times he has used uh, evil, bad kings to punish his children when they have misbehaved. Hell yeah. Sometimes God can allow somebody, you know, to, uh, to, to discipline you. He can discipline you through somebody's bad attitude or behavior. He can do that. You know, if you do something wrong in the sight of God, he can uh, allow somebody else to deal ruthlessly with you, you know, until you cry back to him in repentance. So on this occasion, the, you know, this is a very strange thing, but this happens in essence. So then, verse 21, then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Now, you know, so some demons came up and you know, said, okay, I will do this, I will do this. And somehow God was not satisfied. Until one came out and said, I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And God said, yes, you are going to prevail. So, in essence, lying or lying or lies has been Satan's most potent weapon for ages. When everything else to, seems to not work, quite often lies will work. You know, even in normal life, if a man wants to get a lady, for instance, and he tries everything and doesn't work, he can resort to lies. Start lying about his... Uh, his background, his position, his money, lying and lying and lying. And before you notice it, you know, the person has uh, committed to them. Lies. The devil, the Satan has always been a liar. The Bible says he's the father of lies. So we need to be careful. And uh, so this demon offered, said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And notice this demon even knew. Now this is this evil spirit talking here before the Lord. He's saying, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Whose prophets? Ahab's prophets, not God's prophets. He didn't say, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of God's prophets. He said, in the mouth of all his prophets. So this king Ahab had, he, you know, he had his own prophets. I will give you a story, I mean, a background in, uh, later on when we come back to it. But uh, let's just go on because of time. And verse, seven, verse 23. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. So this is prophet Micaiah, the man of God, now giving this prophecy to this king. That actually what is happening is that all these prophets that are telling you to go to war, that God has permitted, as it were, an evil spirit to lie through them. Because God is out to destroy you, of course, because of your disobedience, which uh, we'll look at it in a minute. You know, because there were things that uh, the king had done wrong before now in the previous chapters. We'll look at that a little bit later. Verse 24. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, 
this one of the head of the false prophets, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? You can see the false prophet, it shows that he's not a man of God, you know, resorting to physical fight. And Micaiah said, indeed you, will, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. Because, you see, when the time of trouble comes, you know, of course, later on when things went, when God's judgment came, they, he ran to, to hide, of course. So the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. So again, this message is be careful what you hear. You know, um, in this life, uh, can... see, I put some notes on the, on the screen there. You see, in this life, there are two very important issues we have to deal with at one time or another. Number one is making important decisions that you expect to produce desired results. You know, quite often, you see, um, every decision has a byproduct. Every decision, in fact, where we are at today is a byproduct of our decisions of past years. Because every decision we make, every decision we make has consequences, good or bad. There are decisions we take that will either build us up or tear us down. You know, so decision making is one of the most important issues in life because you're going to have to take decisions at every point in, uh, in time, you know, on this face of the earth. As you begin to grow up, you take decisions from even deciding what to wear to, to deciding what to eat. Later on, you grow up, finish primary school, or you, you want to go to secondary school, you want to go to university, you decide which course to study. And you finish, and uh, you're of age, you want to marry, you want to decide who to marry, and so on. You want to decide where to move to, where, which house to rent, which house to buy. You want to decide which car to buy. You want to decide where to travel to. You want to decide where to go and live, and so on. Life is full of decisions. You want to decide which friends to keep, which friends to cut away from. Life is full of decisions. And every one of those decisions has got, you know, consequences. Some of them good and some of them bad. If you make those decisions wrong, then you suffer the consequences. If you make them right, you, you, you reap the benefit, the good benefits. So decision making, and God has given us the power, given us the power of choice. So secondly, another important thing in life is that at one time or another, we'll find ourselves in a very difficult situation. And finding a solution out of those problems, of those, out of those situations, it's something that we have to deal with. And all these things have to do so much with how we hear and who we are listening to. Now, I put it down there, Vicky. You see, that dealing with these two issues, the issues of decision-making and finding solution to problems, Dealing with these two issues of life depends on what 
and who you are listening to. Now, we just read in 1 Kings 22, this king wanted to go to battle. He wanted to go to war. He wanted to go to, to carry out some things. So he needed to make a decision. As a matter of fact, he had already just decided. But then the other friend suggested that they sought the leading of the Lord. But unfortunately, sometimes we, you know, we, we, we decide to do the right thing, but we go about it the wrong way. Because it was good to seek the Lord, but then it mattered which prophet you went to. He said, let us seek the Lord. But then what happened? The king gathered all his 400, over 400 prophets. And they were the ones, and they were, of course, his hired prophets, always prophesying good things to him. But you see, Micaiah was not a hired prophet. He was not one of those prophets that you could buy with money and then to, to be telling, telling you what you want to hear. So here the, the Bible tells us, you know, that uh, they called Micaiah who came in, and uh, when he came and gave the true prophecy of what God was saying, of course, the king was not happy. And we'll come to that in a minute. Now, so secondly, I put down here again. Unfortunately, quite often, we are being encouraged or either we, see, either we are being encouraged or we are encouraging people to continue doing what probably got them in that bad situation in the first place. Instead of finding out if a change is necessary on their part. Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation, a very bad situation, in an unpleasant situation, what we need is a turnaround, not necessarily an, an encouragement. You encourage somebody who is doing the right thing, but you correct somebody who is doing the wrong thing. You know? See, I was giving an illustration earlier on about uh, two people traveling. You know, I come from Africa. So my village, uh, in my village, is, I think it's not quite 50 years that... Uh, vehicles started getting to my village. So before then, so, I mean, you know, before then, we would have to trek, walk some kilometers, and then get to where we could enter a vehicle to go to some bigger towns or to the city. So up to now, the vehicles get there, but the road is not very good. And those of you that come from Africa, you know that. You know, you know maybe, well, some of you probably come from the city area. But you know about villages, most villages, the roads to those villages are not very good. So let me give you an illustration here. You know, so let's say two people want to travel to my village. There are two people, they are traveling to my village. And of course, you leave the city. Quite often the road is very good when you leave the city, going to your village. And then you get to a place where you're supposed to turn off the main road and go into the village. All right? Are we together? So you get there, two people. So, and then you get to this road, and there's a sign of this road saying, you know, talking about the name of my village. But you look at it, and it's very bad. The road is very bad. But that, the arrow is pointing there. You know, but because the road is very bad, you decide to go straight. All right? That's number one. Then the number two person comes, he sees this road, I mean, and there's this turn off the main road. It's looking very rough, but it is the sign that is showing the sign to my village. So he takes it. Now, so two people, but both of them want to get to my village. 
One has taken the right road, but the road is rough. One sees that the road is rough, so he decides to go on straight. But he still wants to get to my village. All right. So now, this one that took the right road and is struggling and struggling, the vehicle is going this way because it's, the road is slippery, you know, there's erosion on the road, it's going this way, the car is going this way, and then there are farmers, you know, people passing by, maybe going to their farms, and, you know, they look at you, you know, they say, where are you going? They say, well, I'm going to this village. They say, oh, okay, you are on the right road. Keep it up, keep, keep it up, don't give up, don't give up. And then they see that your car maybe gets stuck a little bit in the mud. They come around and try to help you push the car. Some of you probably can only hear about this. Some of us have experienced these kind of things. You know, they come and help you push the car. Say, come on, come on, come, be encouraged. You're on the right track. Be encouraged. You're on the right track. You, you will get to the place. It's the right road. It's the right road. You go. Now, so, and eventually, this guy reaches the village. The road was rough. All right? This guy that avoided the rough road and kept on going on a good road, eventually he kept on going, 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 and didn't see any sign of the village. So he stopped by and asked, look, I want to go to this village. And uh, and they said to him, um, well, this, you have left off the town, maybe some five, ten kilometers back. This is not the right road. Now, so what are they going to tell him? They'll tell him, you need to what? Make a U-turn, turn back. Okay? So a person like that, doesn't need encouragement to go ahead. What does he need? He needs to be told to make a U-turn. So he needs to make a U-turn and come back and take the right road, even though the road is rough. Now, the problem is that, can you imagine some of those people knowing very well that he's on the right road, they encourage, ah, be encouraged, be encouraged, be encouraged, just keep on going. He's encouraged, everything's going to turn out well. Will he reach the village or will he reach where he's going? The answer is no. Now, so in life, sometimes we know that people are going the wrong way, but we're encouraging them. What they need is not just encouragement, what they need is a turnaround, repentance, a turnaround. The person that needs encouragement is the person that is on the right road and is facing some difficult times. That person is on the right road, but the road is rough. So the person needs encouragement to go on because he's on the right road. The person that's on the wrong road needs correction. He needs to make a turnaround. So life is not all about good and good and good and good, being told good things every time, being told good things every time. Sometimes you need correction. Sometimes you need rebuke. Now, the word encourage in the dictionary, it means to give support or confidence or hope to someone. Secondly, it means to persuade someone to do or continue to do something by giving support and advice. Now, you, can, you are only right to continue to support or to persuade somebody to continue to do something if you know that what they are doing is right. You are, you are not doing the right thing to continue to persuade somebody to continue doing what they are doing if what they are doing is wrong. So just like the two drivers I talked about, you know this driver, the route he has taken, he will never reach where he says he's going. So you can't just say, okay, be encouraged. Everything will be fine. You know, we are praying for you. Be encouraged. 
You can pray for him all you can. As long as he doesn't make a U-turn to come and take the right road, he's never going to reach where he's going. But this guy that took the rough road is on the right road. The road is not good, but it is the right road. Hallelujah. Now, I tell you what. The Christian life is rough. Now, I'm not just saying it. Jesus Christ said it. He said the narrow way. It is a narrow way. It is tough. There are challenges. There are trials. There are temptations. There are attacks of the enemy. But it is the right way. The Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end is destruction. So the thing is that when you find people in problems, you need to be careful about what you tell them. And if you find yourself in a problem, you need to be careful about what you hear. Because what you hear will either dig your hole deeper or help to get you out. Because if you are supposed to be receiving the message of correction for you to make a U-turn, instead you are receiving encouragement to go on with what you are doing, you are in big trouble. You are in big trouble. Second Timothy chapter 4. I solemnly urge you, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 to 5. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. So Paul says to Timothy, verse 2, Preach the word. Be prepared. Whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct. Patiently rebuke. Patiently encourage your people with good teaching. <laughs> so the teaching of God's word has the power to correct. The word of God has the power to rebuke. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for correction, for reproof, for instruction, and so on and so forth. So that the man or woman of God will be thoroughly furnished for good works. So sometimes God's word corrects you. Sometimes God's word instructs you. Sometimes it rebukes you depending on your circumstance, depending on your situation. And we need to, uh, to, to receive all those various uh, works of the word of God. So Paul is writing to Timothy. He said, preach the word of God. So whether it is convenient or not, sometimes it's not convenient because sometimes people want to hear what they want to hear. So if you don't tell them what they want to hear, they will go and look for somebody else to tell them what they want to hear. And that is where the danger is. You know, over the past almost uh, four decades I've been preaching, I have been told at least more than twice, you know, that the people like this, they like this, they like prophecies, they like visions. So if you tell them, give them visions, give them prophecies, and then they will, they will be coming to church. But you see, I know better than to cook up prophecies and cook up visions, visions just because I want people to come. Because you will give account. God didn't call me to be giving out prophecies at will. The Bible says this is operate as the Spirit wills. 
as the Spirit of God wills. I'm not going to push buttons to give visions or prophecies just because that is what people are looking for. They think the thing is that, and, you know, is it manipulating or the manipulation of prophecies and visions and dreams has been around for thousands of years. This thing we are reading about in the first kings, that's thousands of years ago, before even the coming of Jesus. False prophets have been around for thousands of years. So Satan knows that these things work against people. They devastate people. People's lives have been ruined by false prophecies. Marriages have been ruined by false prophecies. Because people don't want to seek the true God. And especially, quite often in life, when someone has decided on what they want to do, my goodness, it's difficult to change their mind. It's difficult. It's difficult. So, you know, they will want confirmation only. You know, I have decided I'm marrying this person. That I love this person. I have decided this is the person I'm marrying. So, you know, all I'm looking out for is for somebody to give me confirmation. Yes, that's the right person. Yes. But if any brother or sister comes and says, hey, Brother Richard, I, I, I think, you know, God is saying you need to pray well, you need to pray properly concerning that relationship. You see, I want to hear that because why? I want confirmation only. I want to be encouraged to go ahead. Now, we need to be objective. We need to be open. If you want God to lead you, you need to be open. Because God's leading is not always pleasant. Necessarily. There are times God will lead you, but that doesn't mean he will lead you always into some rosy, rosy, rosy things. Oh, yes, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. Yes, quite okay. But you notice, read the scriptures. So Paul was in the will of God, and yet he suffered a lot of persecutions, trials, imprisonments, beatings, shipwrecks. And yet Paul was in the will of God. You read through the scriptures and you find out that the people in the will of God, they still suffered trials. But the good thing was that they knew they were in God's will. It's like the person going to my village, taking the rough road. The person is on the right road to my village. The road is rough, but he's on the right path. And this villagers passing and saying to him, yes, this is the, real, the correct road. Go ahead, go, go ahead, go ahead. That is what God wants us to hear, to encourage people on the right path. Hallelujah. And correct people on the wrong path. So verse 3 says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. And I tell you, this time is here. Because people want to hear stories and fables. It says they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching is want to hear. Can I tell you something? Because sometimes when we read scriptures like this, we think of maybe people that, you know, very obvious, maybe outside there, and they're running around, and, oh, I like this, and they're always running. But sometimes the devil plays on our mind, and there are people right in the church. Because depending on whatever the person preaching is preaching about, you can see their reaction. You know, there are some things that, because of what the person is preaching about, they'll be so excited and jumping. But there are some things that somebody is preaching and they start to sleep. 
Why? It shows that their interest is not there. Because, you know, all these things, they play out in one way or another. Our, where is your interest? Do you really want to grow in the word of God? Or you just want to hear things that are sweet to your ears? But it's a price. There's a price. But Paul writes to Timothy, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Now, this, uh, I want us to see this before we go back to 1 Kings. So, before we go to 1 Kings, let's read again 1 Timothy chapter 4. Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. The Bible says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. This is Paul writing to Timothy here. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. So if you find yourself in a position to preach, Paul, you know, said earlier on, preach the word, preach the gospel. Preach Jesus. He says, for the sake of your own salvation and for the sake of the salvation of those you are preaching to, you speak the truth, stay true to what is right. You know, I was saying earlier that unfortunately a lot of people are going to find themselves in hell because of false teaching. Because somebody taught them the wrong thing, they believed it, held on to it, and found out at the end it was they were just holding on to the wind. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. But that's why you need to be wise. You need to be careful. Jesus Christ said to them, be careful what you hear. You need to be careful what you hear. Who are you listening to? And what is the source of what you are listening to or what you are hearing? Is it God or is it the devil? Sometimes say, well, I don't know. The thing is that, well, all this kind of uh, philosophy of uh, the end justifies the means. That is not God. It matters how we get the results that we are getting. It matters. God wants us to get things right. So let's go back to the book of 1 Kings chapter, uh, 20, chapter 22. Now, we will just do some verses. In verse 3 of 1 Kings chapter 22. So the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. Now, there is a reason why this particular king is saying this. Now, I tell you that this was the right thing to do because of what happened previously. So we're going to go back to 1 Kings chapter 20 and read up on this particular situation. 1 Kings chapter 20. Okay, uh, uh, just a minute. Verse 34. And uh, let me give you a little background before we read verse 34. Um, there was a time the, the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad that time, Ben-Hadad, along with 30 kings, 
decided to fight the king of, uh, of Israel. And he even boasted that the God of Israel was only good at delivering them in the, in the hills. You know, that God was not good enough to give them victory in the valley. So he always mocked at them. In fact, before that, he sent letters to the king and said to the king, look, um, all that you have is mine. So the king said, okay, uh, no problem. And then he sent again, actually, not just that, everything else you know, that you own and your land, everything is mine. But of course, a man of God came and prophesied and said to the king, because uh, of what the king of Syria has said and boasted, because of that, I'm going to give you victory over him and his people. Now, so they went to battle. So they went to battle, and uh, the king of Israel, uh, God gave them victory over King Ben-Hadad and his uh, people. And eventually, King Ben-Hadad ran away to hide in a particular small town. And so the, his servants knew that their end was coming up. So they thought something, which is very strange. Actually, in 1 Kings 20, I wanted to check in your Bible. First of all, let's read verse 31. It's really strange, isn't it? If unbelievers can think like this. So they said in verse 31, um, okay, um, okay, let's read verse 30 to give you, let me give you verse 30 to give you a good idea. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 30. In your Bible, not on the screen now. But the rest fled, that is uh, Syrian, the Syrians one day, they fled to Afek, into the city. And then a wall fell on 27,000 of the men who were left. And Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city, into an inner chamber. <laughs> this is the king. He was one threatening. Now the battle came and was hitting up, so he ran. And, and to hide himself. So verse 31, then his servants, that's Ben-Hadad's servants, said to him, look now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Oh my God. These are unbelievers talking this one. <laughs> about this. I mean, can, can you imagine if unbelievers can know, I know that, you know, Yannick is a merciful person. I know that, you know, Brother Gil is a merciful person. Unbelievers knew they said, well, we, have, we know that the kings of Israel are merciful kings. Please, let us put sackcloth around our waists and robes around our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. And so that is what they did. And uh, to cut a long story short, you know, they, they went and met the king of Israel. So in verse 34, um, in order to complete this uh, arrangement and this treaty, so Ben-Hadad, in verse 34, 1 Kings 20, said to him, uh, The cities which my father took from your father, I will restore. Do you see that? And you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him and sent him away. So these were the terms for the release of this King Ben-Hadad, because he was about to be captured. So he came and said, well, okay, I'm going to restore all the cities you know, that uh, my father took. So I'm restoring them. So uh, the, the King Ahab said, okay, fine, if that's the case, okay, uh, you know, fine, uh, you, you can go. But the thing is that um, it was later on they were going to make good on this treaty to go and recover these cities. But before then, I wanted to listen carefully. God was not happy 
that God uh, that Ahab allowed Ben Hadad to go. All right. So if you go on that first Kings chapter twenty, in verse thirty-eight. Verse 38 says, The prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. Now as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man, if by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. Verse 40 while your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. Okay. Busy here and there, except in the right thing. You know, sometimes you can be busy here and there, but not in what you are supposed to be doing. You know? Everybody, did you notice, did you know that everybody is busy in the world? But not everybody is busy doing the right thing. We've left off the right things. If we're not careful, we can live off the right things. And we are very busy in doing you know, things that we should not uh, be uh, concerned ourselves with. Now, so then the king of Israel said to him, so shall your judgment be you yourself have decided it. No, he, but this prophet disguised himself and spoke this, you know, you know uh, proverbially, and then the king said, ah, <laughs> if that's what you have done, then you are finished. Not knowing that this prophet was referring to him. It's just like when the prophet came to, uh, to David, you know, and he gave David a, a, a message, and the David said, ah, this person, this wicked person should die, but the prophet said to him, it is you, it is you, you are the man. So it's a similar thing here, this prophet disguised himself and came and gave this scenario here, and uh, so the king made the judgment, said, ah, if this is what he did, somebody gave you somebody to look after, and you were, instead of looking after the person, you were busy here and there, the person's gone, ah, you, you are done, you are finished, you have, your own mouth has spoken it. But not knowing that it was with reference to him. Look at verse 41. And he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. <laughs> now look at verse 42. Then he said to him, Thou says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased and came to Samaria. So this is what happened. And God decided that because King Ahab allowed Ben Hadad to escape, because God wanted this particular king dealt with. And, you know, so he, this guy, he entered into this treaty with this king, King Ben-Hadad, and God was not happy with it. That, that was not God's plan. So because of that, you know, just like it is said here, say your life will go for his life. But he didn't die immediately. So it was going to be later on that this will come to pass on him. So now we go on to chapter 22. So that's why, you know, when... Um, the king now said that, the, uh, do you know that Ramoth, Ramoth, this, this was one of the cities that was supposed to have been restored. So that's why this king now said it is time we want to go and take back these cities and make good on this treaty that King Ben-Hadad made earlier. All right? So that's the background. So he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me and fight? And of course he agreed to go with him. And then they decided to inquire of the Lord, which is a good thing. And I was saying earlier on, sometimes we, you know, you know, the thing with God is that 
I tell you something, you know, we have to continue to trust God from beginning to the end. There is no time that you can say you've heard God and God has given you direction and then because of that you don't need, you know, God's guidance again. We will need God's guidance all the way until Jesus returns or until we leave this earth. You know, uh, for instance, if you uh, remember the, uh, the time that God sent uh, Samuel, Prophet Samuel, to go to the ha house of Jesse, right? He said, go to the house of Jesse, uh, anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king to take over from. So, so God simply said, I'm sending you to Jesse's house. He's got, you know, some children. But I want you to anoint one of them to be the next king. But God did not tell him which of the sons. You see? Now, and that shows us, and these things happen. God will never show you all of your life at once. You know, I don't know what my tomorrow is. You don't know what your tomorrow is. But we trust him tomorrow. And sometimes he gives us a bit of direction here and there. But we have to trust him all the way. So Samuel, the prophet, he got the initial leading right, isn't it? God said, go to the house of Jesse. So he got that right. So he got to the house of Jesse. And probably he needed to say, Lord, okay, I'm now here. So which of the sons? But he didn't do that. He just had Jesse line up all his children. And, uh, you know, all the level, the, the, one of them came deep, 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 deep. And because, you see, King Saul was a huge man. King Saul was big. So maybe Samuel thought automatically the king to replace him would be a very huge person too. So this guy, I think Eliab or whatever, came with deep, deep, uh -huh. He said, surely the, this is the one. And God said, no, 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 no. This is not the one. And all the children of Jesse, the men, they came. And, you know, none of them. God said, none of them. So Samuel had to say to Jesse, are these all their children? Just like this similar story in First Kings chapter 20. You know, you know, the king said, is there no prophets here? You know, sometimes the, it is the, those that are forgotten. They are the ones, the, 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 the chief cornerstone, you know. The rejected stone, the, the chief con and yet is the chief cornerstone. Because he said, well, there's one small one, but he's in the bush uh, looking after, uh, looking after a uh, sheep. They said, go and fetch him. We are not even going to sit down until he comes. And of course, when David came looking dirty, smelling of sheep, and God said, this is the one. So, you see, God doesn't operate like we do. Now, what I'm trying to say here is that if we are not careful, because we need to be listening for God and to God every time. Two different things. Listening to God and listening for God's voice. They are two different things. Now, because he, he, God told him, go to the house of Jesse. So he got that right. But when he got to the house of Jesse, he failed to take the necessary step again to hear further. Okay, which one? Which one? You know, so sometimes the, this is where, what the problem is. So we read here in the scriptures here to go and inquire of the Lord. So sometimes, and that's a good thing to do, isn't it? But how do we go about inquiring from the Lord? How? The book of Romans says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So it's a good thing when somebody says, let's seek the face of God. That's a good thing. All right? But the process 
of seeking, sometimes we miss it. That decision, initial decision to seek God is good. It is right. But sometimes the process of seeking God is now wrong. Because what happened, the king now went to gather all his 400 prophets. And uh, that is where the mess now began. You see? Started off well, and then got up, you know, ended up messing the whole thing up. We start things right, and we, we end up in a mess. Oh, may God help us. Now, so they got, they gathered the prophets, and the, the prophet said in verse 6, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king must have loved this, because this is what he wanted to do. You know, you see, if you have made up your mind what you want to do, I'll tell you, <laughs> it takes really God to help you otherwise. It's very difficult to hear otherwise. Seriously speaking, you know. So that's why you need to be careful, you know. If you have, it's something that you have decided you want to do. It becomes very difficult to hear God telling you otherwise. So we need to be careful. The king really wanted to go to this battle. But then the strange thing is this again. Because when it comes to following God's leading, the, the timing comes into play also. The process. How do we go about it? When God, I mean, when that king back then made that treaty, said, okay, you can have the cities and, and so on and so forth, you know, so, they didn't do anything until now. So, in a way, it was right that they went to get back these particular cities. So, but the thing is that the process was wrong. Going to inquire from false prophets made the whole thing a mess. And now despising the true prophet, just like they despised David. The true prophet was despised, but eventually he came. And look at verse 7. Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him. So now, it is not because Micaiah was a bad man. As a matter of fact, the king was more or less acknowledging this prophet to be a man of God. Because he said it here, Micaiah the son of Imla, he said, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. Say this one man. So always, as usual, just like Elijah against the 450 prophets of Baal in chapter 18 of First Kings. Because those 450 prophets of Baal belonged to Jezebel, the wife of Ahab. And they got healed killed by Elijah, all right, in 1 Kings chapter 18. So it looks like this family was a family of prophets, a hired prophets, put it away. Because Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, had 450 prophets that Elijah killed on Mount Carmel. And then now, later on, there is this king, the husband now, he's got his own 400 prophets. 
My, 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 my. And so now the reason why he hated Micaiah was because Micaiah wouldn't prophesy anything good concerning him. Why? Here is an evil king. The Bible says, you know, I've forgotten the reference now, but it says carefully one of the places in Kings, in the book of Kings, that there was no king in Israel that sold himself to carry out evil like King Ahab, who was teared up by his wife Jezebel. There was no king that carried out, that sold himself. In fact, that's what the Bible says. There was no king in Israel that sold himself to carry out evil in the sight of God like King Ahab. But who was stirred up by Jezebel, his wife. Now, so tell me, here is an evil king and that there was no king like him. So how should he have been receiving good prophecy? <laughs> oh my God. Except from those who were making money. Those 400 prophets, I'm sure they were on salary. But Micaiah was not. Hired prophet, 400 hired prophets. You can't just gather 400 prophets like that. You have to be settling them every month, sorting them out, feeding them and their families, whatever. But Micaiah, Micaiah, he was not one of those hired prophets. He said, I will not, in fact, he said earlier, we read, that I will speak anything except that which the Lord says to me. That is how you know a prophet of God. And so he knew better than to come and prophesy good to an evil man. And like I said earlier on, remember those two people going to my village. When, if somebody is wrong, going down the wrong road, the person, it is not prophecy that the person needs. Unless the prophecy is telling them to repent and turn around. But if the prophecy is only to encourage them, you are not helping them because they will continue on the path of destruction. When a king is that wicked, like the Bible describes King Ahab, how should he have been expecting good prophecy? Good prophecy to encourage him to do what he was doing? No. And sometimes it's like that. Here are people who are living, they have no concern for God. They don't care about God. They don't want to take time to pray. They don't take time to read the Bible. They don't care about bread. They just live anyhow. And then they come to church. They want prophecy. The prophecy that God will give will have to do with your repentance. Because that is always what happened right from the Bible. If you make a mistake and things go wrong, you repent and then God recovers you. And God restores you. Hallelujah. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and repent, he said, I, God, will hear from him. What will happen? I will what? Forgive their sins and what? Heal the land. Notice that forgiveness precedes healing of the land. You want the land to be healed. That's why they, some few weeks ago we went to have a meeting to pray for Nigeria. You know? <laughs> I said, uh, no, I mean, you know, how did Nigeria get to where it is in the first place? And to what extent has the church in Nigeria got a part in what has happened. Because if the preachers have abdicated their positions, they are not preaching the true gospel like they ought to. Christians are living anyhow. So things will go wrong. And if things go wrong, 
So the healing has to be preceded by repentance. If my people who are called by my name, we say humbleness, then I will forgive. After forgiveness, I will heal the land. Psalm 103 says, God forgives our iniquities and he heals our diseases. Quite often, you know, forgiveness is, you know, precedes healing. So we have to, to repent if we have done wrong. We repent and God will restore us. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to be careful. So when we find ourselves in problems, we will have to stop it because of time. Whenever you find yourself in a situation, you want to ask yourself, is it encouragement for me to continue in this situation? Or do I need some correction? Do I need a turnaround? Am I on the right path? Because like that other person going to the, my village, the road is rough, but it's on the right path. Hallelujah. A person like that needs encouragement. Come on. Yes, keep up. Keep up. You're on the right path. It's rough, but keep up. You know? Years ago, a man, is it Jim Reeves now? Sang this song on the old rugged cross. You know? You see? So he chose, he chose, he chose the old rugged path, the, the cross. The cross was tough, but that was the right thing to do. The Christian life may be tough, but we are on the right path. Hallelujah. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Jesus Christ said the narrow path. It is straight. It is narrow. It is tasking. Very difficult. But it is the right road. We don't want to take the easy way. Because there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end is destruction. You know, so when you find yourself in a situation... Don't just be looking out for people to encourage you. Search your heart. Is there something that I need to make a turnaround about in my life? A behavior, an attitude, a decision, wrong decision. Do I need to change something in order for my situation to change? Because sometimes until you change, your situation may not change. People can come prophesy good to you, but it's not going to change your situation because that prophecy is not coming from God. What God is telling you is, first of all, repent. Because that is what the wicked king ought to be hearing. If there's any prophet, I'm sure maybe Prophet Micaiah must have been telling him, wicked king, king, God wants you to repent. Stop worshiping idols and serve the true God. And to the king, that was bad prophecy. <laughs> you know, sometimes when people come and tell us to correct what we're doing that is wrong, we call that bad. And then when somebody comes to encourage us to continue to do the evil where the bad things we're doing, we call that good. But you see, the thing is that at the end, the price, the price is not worth it at all. Going on that path of destruction, we need to be careful what we hear. Let us bow our heads in prayers.